Welcome to Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm your genuflexer, Roger. My brothers and sisters in Christ, join me every other Wednesday as we work out these three perspectives in our everyday culture. That's what I call Christian genuflexing. Today, I got a very special guest, Dr. Bruce Tallman. We're going to be talking about his fourth book, God's Ecstatic Love. Also, we're going to be talking about spiritual direction and a very special treat at the end. We're going to be talking about aliens, UFOs. Is there intelligent civilizations outside of our own? So it's going to be a very fun episode. You guys are going to learn a lot. You're going to get fed with your faith. Get fed with your reason, fed with geekdom. So it's going to be a good show. I'm, I've, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, Dr. Bruce Tallman, can you do us a little quick introduction about yourself? Uh, I'm now 72 years old. I'm married. We've been married for 45 years, Grace and myself. Uh, we have three adult children. Uh, I worked for 14 years with the Roman Catholic Diocese of London, Ontario, Canada. In... Uh, adult religious education. Uh, so that was from 1988 to 2002. Since 2002, I've been in my own private practice as a spiritual director. I also do uh, a lot of marriage preparation work, uh, which started with the diocese, and then I just carried it on, you know, in my own practice. And I do a lot of writing. So yeah, I've written four books and uh, yeah, and I really want to thank you, Roger, for inviting me to be on your podcast. This is uh, this is really a treat. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Uh, I just want to say thank you, uh, Doctor, uh, for, for doing this for me. It, it's a special treat for me to get to pick your brain and get to talk about spiritual direction. I just recently had a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago about spiritual direction. So it, it's very interesting. So again, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. And I, I'm, I'm actually honored. So let's get right into this because we've got a lot of stuff to cover today. So it's going to be a good, exciting episode. How would you describe your spiritual direction, your spiritual journey? I grew up uh, in the United Church of Canada, which is very... Uh, liberal. My parents were very devout. They were on the the board of the church all the time, and uh, and yeah, I was just a devout kid. We had a wonderful Sunday school. By the time I was seven, I believe it or not, I, I could name all the books in the Bible. I'm not mm. sure I could name them now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I knew the Apostles' Creed, and I knew the Lord's Prayer and the Twenty Third Psalm, and and the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. So, you know, I was brought up in a really good, uh, good church. Uh, and when I was 13, I went through confirmation, which some United Church ministers joking, jokingly call graduation from the church. Oh, <laughs> uh, I stopped going to church. I thought for a while that I was kind of an atheist. And uh, anyway, I picked up this book about Billy Graham, written by Billy Graham. And um, my dad, uh, my dad's boss invited Billy Graham to come to Winnipeg, Manitoba, to do a crusade. My dad asked me if I wanted to meet Billy Graham. 
Wow. And so, yeah, so I had a private meeting with Billy Graham. And at the end, Billy, we both stood up and Billy shook my hand and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Bruce, we're expecting great things from you. And wow. he probably says that to every kid he has a, <laughs> you know, has a private audience with. But it scared the heck out of me. And I kind of, then I really started running away from religion, ironically, instead of, wow. you know. Yeah, and I was starting, I was 17, I started, I, when I started university and you're studying the theory of evolution, you know, and I kind of figured I was an atheist and I got a job working in a jail with, with the worst juvenile delinquents in the province of Manitoba. It was, I was supposed to be a counselor, but I was basically a guard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I was sharing a, an apartment with, with another guy who was a staff at the, at the center. And, um, you know, there were a lot of drugs floating around this, this jail. And so me and my partner thought, well, why don't we try out some of these drugs, you know, and see what, (laughs) so, yeah, so we didn't do anything heavy, but, you know, we tried LSD and (laughs) nothing heavy, like nothing heavy, just a, (laughs) I was like, Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, that was, that was the first and last time I will ever try marijuana or uh, LSD. I kind of, I kind of had a bad trip. Then uh, a couple of friends of mine were, they got a grant to do uh, a film about all the Aztec and Mayan and Inca ruins. And they they needed somebody to do the still photography. And so they invited me along on this trip. We were gone for 11 months, all all through Mexico, Central America, South America. We're traveling on our own camper and uh, when I came back off that trip, you know, I started realizing, well, religion was like the center of these cultures, you know, like we were constantly going to these ancient ruins. And the only thing left of these cultures was their religious temples. And so I came back to Canada and, um, and the guys who we were, we were hanging out with and doing drugs with seemed to get, they seemed to be getting into heavier drugs, which, I knew I didn't want to go there. Yes. And I thought, I thought there must be a natural way of getting high. And so uh, this is the 60s now and uh, (laughs) early 70s. And, you know, the Beatles were popular and they were all following Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And they were doing transcendental meditation. And uh, so I started you know, I joined the Transcendental Meditation Society and started meditating, which was really good for me. Um, But then I got into graduate school in psychology and I was working full time and I just didn't have time to meditate. I couldn't get into it. I had to do some undergraduate work because I wanted to get into a graduate program in religious studies. So I I started doing some undergraduate work and um, at this time, I'd met my wife, Grace, and she was um, she was a fundamentalist uh, Mennonite uh, evangelical. Oh. And hmm. so she introduced me to the Bible, and that was the first Christmas gift she gave me was a Bible. Okay? For Christmas? Yeah. <laughs> and I'd never read the Bible, and I just thought, what kind of gift is this? You know, like, It'd be cold to of... you, kind of, right? <laughs> like your version yeah. of the coal, yeah. coal and Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, her parents didn't want me to marry her because I wasn't born again, you see. 
And so just to impress him, I decided that, you know, I'd take a course in the Old Testament. And uh, um, the course in the Old Testament was was horrible. The, the professor plagiarized everything. But as part of the course, as part of the course, you had to actually open the Bible and start reading it. And so I opened it at Proverbs and started reading Proverbs. And I was blown away by the wisdom in Proverbs. You know, I just thought, wow, this is this is amazing. This is just a treasure chest. So, yeah, ever since then, I've been reading the scriptures every day. And uh, and so then this course, you know, I got really excited about doing like a major in religious studies. So I, I went back full time into religious studies then got into the master's program, uh, did a master's degree in religious studies. And um, meanwhile, Grace and I were bouncing around from one Protestant church to another. I mean, the churches were either, they were either too conservative for, or too conservative for me and too liberal for her. Oh. So, <laughs> so we ended up moving to Toronto. I did my master's in religious studies at the University of Toronto. And um, we started attending this church called the Toronto United Mennonite Church, you know, which we thought would be perfect because, okay, it's sort of a, we thought it'd be a blend of United and Mennonite, yeah. right? You know, anyway, it turned out that everybody in the congregation had a PhD. It's the most intellectual church I've ever been in. And, but, but God was kind of an embarrassment. Like mm. They rarely mentioned God. And we thought there's something wrong with this, you know, and like, so one Sunday morning, we got up, you know, to go to church, and we said to each other, if we hear another secular sermon, you know, like the, the minister would talk about things like defensive driving, you know. And, what? Oh, wow. Yeah. Defensive yeah. driving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, that gives so, a new meaning to the song, uh, Jesus Take the Wheel. Wow. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we said, if we hear one more secular sermon, we're out of here. See? So that morning, the, the minister starts off with starts off his sermon. He starts it off by saying, "Well, this is just another secular sermon." He actually said <laughs> he literally words. said those words. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we looked at each other, and we, you know, that was it. Like so, then we tried the Baptist church. We tried the Nazarene church. We oh. bounced around. We went to this little church called the Church of the Way, and I was feeling like. Well, these churches are just kind of isolated islands, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And like, I want to be part of mainstream Christianity. Yeah. Meanwhile, we had moved back to Winnipeg and there was a Catholic church just down the street from us. And I, so I thought I'd go and check that out, you know, and they had a program where it was an introduction to Catholicism. It was kind of a watered down version of the RCIA. I don't know. If oh, you know yes. That. I'm familiar yeah. with RCIA. Yes. You know, I went through this course in Catholicism. I found I was agreeing with so much they were saying. And so at Easter, I joined the church. And uh, that was back in 1983. And uh, yeah, 38 years ago. And then uh, the, the priest at that time um, knew that I had a master's degree in religious studies. And so he assumed that, you know, since I was a Protestant up until then, he assumed that I knew the Bible inside out, which which I didn't, which I actually didn't. I did, I at university doing my master's degree, I took uh, world religions and Christian theology, but I never took 
any Bible courses. And so he put me in charge of the Bible study for the whole parish. Well, you'll fit right in the Catholic church. <laughs> yeah, fit right yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they had this amazing Bible study program called uh, the journey Bible study program. And he put me in charge of that. There were 40 booklets. It was written by an archbishop and, um, mm. Yeah, I just immersed myself in that every week. And for like three or four years, I became the chairman of the, of the parish council. And uh, and then I, I, be, I became in charge of this big program called Renew. I was working pretty much full-time as a volunteer for my church. And I started daydreaming about, you know, it'd be great to have just one job, like one full-time job working for a church somewhere. And, you know, I sort of fantasized about working for, you know, for a diocese in evangelization. I subscribed to this magazine called The Prairie Messenger, and there was a little ad in there. They wanted the, somebody to be the director of this uh, Christian Renewal Center, this adult religious education center. And so I applied for that. I didn't think I'd get it, but they hired me. And so that's how I came to London, Ontario. And, um, yeah, I did. I ran two adult religious education centers for the diocese for 14 years. And then I started feeling a calling to be a spiritual director. And uh, meanwhile, uh, I knew the diocese was going to close that there were four adult religious education centers. And um, I got wind of the fact that the diocese you know, there were all these scandals, you know, with sexual abuse and, mm -hmm. and uh, there were all kinds of legal bills and the diocese needed to close down the four adult religious education centers. Wow. And, yeah. To, to afford to pay for all the legal costs. You see. So um, I just, you know, I, I was feeling this calling to be a spiritual director and, and, started looking for spiritual direction training programs. Uh, I eventually ended up with the Jesuits in North Detroit. They trained me in spiritual direction. Mm. And then I thought, well, um, I was doing a lot of marriage preparation for the diocese. And I knew that a lot of people, a lot of couples were kind of falling between the cracks because they, for whatever reason, because of their circumstances, they couldn't get into the parish marriage preparation courses. Yeah. And they, by this time, I was, I was building a spiritual direction practice on the side while I was working full time for the diocese. And I, I had enough directees that I thought, you know, if I, if I picked up all the couples, the marriage prep couples who are falling between the cracks, I mean, between them and my directees, I could probably just quit my job with the diocese and work full time. So. So before they closed down the centers, I quit. I quit my job and uh, and started in my own practice as a as a spiritual director. You know, eventually everything just seemed to point towards the Catholic Church, and uh, yeah, everything you know just it all fit together. That's so. a good. That's a crazy journey. Uh, like I said, like what you were saying, the experimenting with drugs, the Beatles, getting into meditation, going to college. That's like one of the most. Uh, 
boomer journeys if i ever had heard one yeah, right. that's yeah, one of the yeah. most like the baby boomer of boomers that i've ever heard yeah. of the journey of like everything you're saying i was like yeah that's <laughs> but uh that's beautiful beautiful that that it led you to that and now yeah. doing what you're yeah. doing um i was gonna ask could you describe your spiritual practice how do you connect with god in 1983 as i said i became a catholic and um uh, at that time, I was reading this book called uh, How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Life. It was by Alan Lacaine. Alan Lacaine said, if you want to get control of your time and your life, you have to have some lifelong goals, you know? Like, what are your lifelong goals? So I thought, okay, what are my, what are my lifelong goals? And I was just a new Catholic, so I thought, well, what did Jesus say, the great commandments, where he said, great commandments were love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. And so I took those as my lifelong goals. And uh, ever since then, every he also said, every week you should write out how you're going to meet your lifelong goals, you see. So every week I've written out since then, this is like 38 years ago. I can't believe oh. I'm this old. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, every week I've written out, okay, how can I love God? How can I love myself, my wife, my kids, other people, you know? Uh, and so out of that, my spiritual, my own spiritual practice has gradually evolved. So um, I start off, um, you know, just with some general prayers, uh, prayers of uh, intercession for other people mainly. Um, and then I usually do some journaling uh, on whatever is, you know, whatever spiritual topic is yeah. up for me that day. Um, that's been very helpful in sorting a lot of stuff out. Um, and what I've been doing lately is I'm I'm on this. Uh, I realized there's parts of the Bible's the Bible that I still haven't read, and so I signed up for a you know one of these read the Bible in a year programs. Right? Oh, Mike Smith. Is it the Mike Smith one, the uh, Bible in a year podcast? I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's like the, one of the, the top guys on YouTube and Mike Smith. Okay. Yeah. Father Mike Smith. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that takes, so I, at first I was, I was just reading, you know, the chapters they, they recommended, but then I decided, well, I'm kind of whipping through things here. I should take some notes. So I've slowed down and I'm taking, taking notes. I filled three notebooks of notes so far. And um, that takes about 45 minutes every day. And then uh, after that, um, I'm writing some poetry, trying to write some poetry. And, uh, and then I, uh, and then I do some centering prayer, which is just basically, you know, sitting still, eyes closed. And, um, you know, usually you use a sacred word like Jesus or yes. love. Just focus. Jesus prayer or something like that. Yeah, the Jesus prayer. Mm -hmm. You focus on that. So I do that for 15 minutes. And then I do some, uh, then I do some Tai Chi and then I have breakfast. And while I'm eating breakfast, I'm reading the, the uh, I don't know if you have this in the States, but uh, it's a missile. It's called a missile layup. Yeah, so I read that while I'm eating breakfast, and uh, then at noon I try to remember what I read, you know, at breakfast in the Bible. Altogether, all that stuff in the morning takes, believe it or not, I get up at five, and it takes me till about eight. Yeah. To, 
A lot of prayer, prayer, pray, yeah. pray, pray. Um, yeah. People that are listening to this, uh, I would ask you, uh, what is spiritual direction? Okay, excellent question. Uh, well, there's actually a lot of controversy about the name because, um, you know, the, so it's spiritual direction. The direction part makes it sound like we're telling people what to do. But actually in spiritual direction, it's like spiritual, it's like psychological counseling, okay? Uh, psychological counseling is focused on the client, not on the psychologist, you know? Um, so they talk about the carpet and the spotlight and the carpet is, the carpet is rolled up towards the client. You don't let it unravel towards you as the psychologist. Um, and the, the spotlight is the spotlight is on the client. It's not on you, the psychologist. And so spiritual directions like that. The big difference though, is that in spiritual direction, the idea is that um, the spiritual director is just sort of an instrument of God. I mean, the Holy Spirit is really the spiritual director. And yes. I'm just there to facilitate people's spiritual growth. So it's, it's mostly active listening. Mm -hmm. And the big difference with, between spiritual direction and psychological counseling, uh, I mean, spiritual direction is basically spiritual counseling, but the big difference is that in spiritual direction, you know, you can talk about God from the get-go. I mean, that's the whole purpose, you know, is to explore a person's journey with God. And uh, so people bring all kinds of things to spiritual direction. And I just try to put them in a spiritual context. I try to just actively listen. I figure if I'm talking more than about 30% of the time, I'm talking too much. So we're not directing people. We're not telling them what to do. We're trying to draw out of them what they think they need to do oh, okay. so spiritually, you see. So it so is close to counseling. Yeah, yeah. It's very close because I didn't think of that. So it's it's more of like counseling. I never put that two together, but you're not like directing like a doctor kind of like, here, here, take uh, two Hail Marys and see me in the morning. You're not kind of like, just do this. And yeah, okay. A lot of active listening. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I might recommend books for a person to read or yes. articles. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, that's uh, I may train them in different ways of praying. You know, there's many, many different ways of praying. Um, you know, but mainly it's just exploring, okay, what's going on in your spiritual life? Like, what, what do you feel like God is calling you to? Or what do you feel like, what do you feel like the Holy Spirit is calling you to let go of? Wow. Yeah. Cause that was my next question is how, how does spiritual direction help people? So you're kind of yeah. like, you're asking them like, what, what do you think God's calling you to do? Kind of listen and figure out with each other, but okay. Yeah. All right. So I yeah. see that. Yeah. So a typical spiritual direction question might be, uh, you know, what's your deepest spiritual desire? Uh, or what do you need spiritually right now? Uh, those kind of questions. I mean, if somebody's, suffering from depression. I mean, uh, you know, they could work with a psychologist at the, at the same time as working with a spiritual director. I will just put, try to, you know, put everything in a spiritual context. I mean, so I'll ask them, okay, you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious. Where, where do you find God in the midst of your depression or, or your anxiety or your struggles with your marriage or your job or your kids, you know? Um, yeah, 
where where is God for you in all this? You know, where is Jesus? Where's the Holy Spirit acting in your life? And so, I mean, some people show up, and uh, my ideal directee, directee just means a person taking spiritual direction. My ideal directee is somebody who uh, is really wrestling with their spiritual life, you know? Uh, I mean, maybe they're thinking of leaving the church, and, you know? Oh, okay. I mean, uh, there's different stages of spiritual growth. There's, you know, the group stage where you just believe, you just believe what you've been taught. You don't ask any questions. And then there's this personal stage of spiritual growth where you start asking questions like, okay, what does this mean to me? You know, what, you know, and sometimes when people start asking questions, they feel like they're losing their faith, but actually they're going deeper and broader. Uh, you know, doubt is not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, it can drive us deeper into our faith. I mean, you have two choices when you're doubting. I mean, either you can move away from God or you can move closer to God. You know, I think it was, uh, so, was it John Henry Newman that said, was it a, a thousand, uh, thousand doubts or a thousand questions? Don't make one doubt or something like that. Uh, John Henry Newman, yeah. something. Yeah. How does one become a spiritual director? Well, uh, there's different levels. I mean, you can, uh, there's a lot of training programs and, um, a lot of them are like two years and, um, the first year is usually getting people up to speed theologically because often people, you know, I mean, spiritual direction is really a calling. You can have all of the degrees in the world. And if you weren't called to be a spiritual director, you, you yeah. know, you won't be able to it. happen. Yeah. No, no. I mean, on the other hand, you could be called to be a spiritual director and not have any training and still, you know, be fairly good at yeah. it. But I mean, the idea, the ideal is to have the calling and the training. Yes. Yes. Uh, the theology, what you were talking about, right? Yeah. You don't want to just yeah. be dropping a bunch of heresies all over the place. Yeah. Like, yeah yes, exactly. do this. Uh, follow yeah. your conscience over the church and all that. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, uh, yeah. So the first year is, is theological, you know, updating kind of. And then the second year is the practice of spiritual direction. And so, you do a lot of triads where, um, you know, you're, you take the role of a spiritual director the other person takes the role of a directee and then you have an observer. And so the triads are the three people and you switch roles and, you know, you get to be the directee, you get to be the observer. You do a lot of that. And, um, yeah. And so, uh, the first year is theology. The second year is, there's lots, there's tons of books written about spiritual direction. I've, I've written two books myself. Two of my books are about, there are four professional spiritual directors. One is called uh, Finding Seekers, uh, how to develop a spiritual direction practice from beginning mm. to full-time employment. Uh, that's been very popular in the spiritual direction field because nobody had ever written a book like that. And, uh, so that's been kind of a bestseller in the field of spiritual direction. My first book was called Archetypes for Spiritual Direction, which was about, um, I don't know if you know Carl Jung, but. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, the uh, psychologist Carl Jung. Yeah, yeah. He's a big, uh, so, um, I, I, well, I like I'm like him mainly through Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson always uh, talks, right. he's a big fan of Carl Jung, so I always, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
so young part of young's um you know discoveries was about the archetypes and so my first book was called archetypes for spiritual direction like for for males there's four main archetypes there's the king the warrior the magician or the wise man and and the, the lover you see and so uh my doctoral thesis was about okay if you were and, and there's negative archetypes for each of these positive archetypes uh, like for the king archetype the negative ones there's two negative ones for each positive one but the negative ones are the the tyrant and the abdicator you see the tyrant is the one who uh you know just is a dictator basically and uh the abdicator is the one who abdicates responsibility you know passing the buck uh and then for the warrior the two shadow archetypes are the the uh the uh masochist and the saddest for the uh for the magician i don't like the word magician so i change it to seer you know for the seer uh so the seer would be like the prophet you know um Prophet though can become a manipulator. He can tell a lot of lies instead of telling the truth. Was that was that a, so, a pop shot at the Watchtower Society? <laughs> was that a the prophets in 1960s? I was like, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, Carl uh, Jordan Peterson. I listened to his like four hour lectures on that. So yeah. I, I'm very uh, which kind of brings us to to uh, a nice little segue uh, uh, about your books. Uh, you have you have your and, and all these could be purchased on Amazon um, and anywhere um, Barnes and Nobles or any other book yeah. bookstore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know yeah. that's the main one, Amazon. Until you know, until they ban yeah. all of Christian books or whatever. But yeah. Uh, yeah. your your book, uh, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, God's ecstatic love. Sure. Why did you write God's ecstatic love? Okay. Um, well. Um, uh, as I said, my own lifelong spiritual goals are to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as I love myself. And so I thought, you know, when I first chose those as my lifelong goals, I thought, well, how do you, how do you love God? You know, I thought, you know, it, I need some training in this. And so I came across St. Francis de Sales' treatise on the love of God, mm. which is like a major spiritual treatise. It's like I think it's on the level of introduction to the devout life. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that was his first book. Yeah, that book is more well known than the treatise. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, I I think I've heard of the treatise, but mainly it, it's every time you say Francis de Sales, uh, all I hear is mainly the introduction to the devout life. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the treatise is sort of more for advanced people, you know, in the spiritual journey. Uh, the, the introduction is kind of like it says, it's an introduction yeah. to about life. Um, so, yeah, so I started reading that. But back in 1983, I don't think I was sort of, uh, I wasn't really able to get into what he was saying. And so for a long time, I just had it in the back of my mind, you know, that someday I should really get into the treatise and I really should, you know, I mean, it's like I said, it's on the level of, uh, the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius or the imitation of Christ or the cloud of unknowing, you know, all those classics, all those classics of spirituality. 
but most people have never heard of the treatise. And so I, I had it in the back of my mind, you know, someday I should do a commentary on this. And so um, we moved three times and I, I have hundreds of books and somehow I, I lost the two, two volumes of the treatise. Anyway, uh, one day I was uh, back in 2016, I was moving some books around and um, behind a couch was this uh, box of an unopened box. And uh, I opened it up and, and there was the two volumes of the treatise. And so I, th I thought, well, okay, this is like a sign from God. I mean, it's time, it's time to really study the treatise, you know, and really get into it. And uh, I wrote it because I kind of see that, you know, on the one hand, there's people who are almost fundamentalists. They're kind of they take kind of take everything literally, and they're they're gung ho. They're very passionate. And then there's other people who are kind of intellectual, and you know they may be brilliant, but they don't have they don't have a lot of passion about the faith. And so, you know, the, the treatise is kind of a combination of the heart and the mind, and it's really, you know, it's an intellectual approach to the spiritual life and. But, you know, it was written, I mean, it was published in 1616. And so 400 years later, 2016, I pick up the treatise and I noted that, okay, it's exactly 400 years since this was published. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot has happened in the past 400 years. I mean, when Francis de Sales wrote the treatise, modern science was just beginning. In fact, in 1615, the year before he wrote the treatise, the, the Vatican came out and totally condemned Galileo, you know, and, and uh, I mean, they just verbally condemned him. They didn't, you know, they put him under house arrest kind of. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they blow it way out of proportion with the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Him and the Pope yeah. and the, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 So, you know, I mean, since 1616, there's been modern science, there's been, you know, Communism, capitalism, existentialism. Netflix, Netflix. Uh, Don't forget that. It's a big one. The, yeah, there's <laughs> Netflix. There's been the internet. There's been, uh, you know, now we're becoming more familiar with other world religions. You know, it's like and now there's the new atheism, and you know, it's like, wow, there's so much change. You know, so I thought somebody should write an update. You know, somebody should update the treatise. So basically, that's what I tried to do. In my own humble way, I tried to. Uh, uh, so, so about twenty percent of my book is is actually quotes from the original treatise, and um, which got me in trouble with my publisher because you know I was kind of naive and I was quoting the original treatise left and right, and then my publisher said, "Oh, you know, you can't do that. I mean, like, like you'll get sued for copyright, you know, from uh, because Tan Books said." published this, you know, translation of the treatise that I was using. It was from 1975. So my publisher said, you got to find a book that's before 1923, because everything before 1923 is in the public domain. Yeah. You see, like anybody, anybody can quote anything from any book before 1923, and there's no copyright rules, yeah. you see. So, uh, so then I had to, uh, I found a, a version of the uh, translation from 1884. So then I mm. had to go back and find 
all the quotes that I'd used in this 1884 version. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, one of the people who, I, I mean, the book was edited by seven clergy people, uh, oh. seven clergy people from six different Christian denominations. They gave me a lot of feedback. And so I kept revamping it, revamping it. So yeah, it's been a labor of love. I think I revamped it nine times. Oh, so, nine times. Yeah. It's 200. It's it's 272 pages. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. So it it really has been a labor of love. And again, I wrote it because you know I, I would like people to be not only intellectual about their faith but also passionate. You know, mm -hmm. put the two together be passionate to love God with all your heart and all your mind. I mean, um, so that's what I, that's what I tried to do. So that, that's yeah. very, very powerful. And, and the way your, your process of doing it and getting it nine times, also the open box, it kind of brings a call back to the signs that you're getting, you know, like, Hey, 400 years, Hey, there's an open box almost. And then, uh, reminds back of the, the pastor who's like, this is a secular, uh, homily or, or what you were talking about. How, when, if I hear another secular one, it's like it, it, it these nuggets, these, these, open doors that 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 god leaves for us and we walk through and so that's that's incredible yeah. um yeah yeah See, a labor of love yeah that church where everybody had a phd that was an example of people being passionate or people being very intellectual but not mm -hmm. passionate yeah you know that god was literally an embarrassment they never hardly wow. ever mentioned god believe it or not yeah yeah just your so, your your process on on how you came to write it and all that and 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 how you you went through that 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 alone uh is getting it edited by all these different people and and feedback and going back like the labor of love like you said you know like my grandma yeah. said like oh why is it so good it's like cause I, I made it with love you know so just that alone uh is enough to make people take notice but but i would ask like um why should people read uh, God's ecstatic love on top of okay. all that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking these great questions. Um, so, you know, let's use a sports analogy, okay? Uh, let's use football. I mean, the teams that win are not the teams that, you know, do a fancy dance after they score a touchdown. Okay? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. I was worried because when you said football, I know you're in Canada, and I was like, is this like football, football, American, or is it soccer? I was like, I got you. I'm following because if it was soccer, yeah. I, I would have went over my head. So I got you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you a secret about Canada. We know more about U.S. politics and U.S. football than we know about Canadian politics. What? Wow. <laughs> wow. It's a little, little, hey, you guys we're, heard it we're, first. We're like, we're like this. We're like this gigantic, you know, state, you know, we're like oh, part of the state. That's much. a good analogy. Okay. Yeah. You heard it first yeah. guys. Everybody heard it first. A little yeah. secret so, about Canadians. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the teams that win in, in American football, the teams that practice the basics over and over again, like passing, you know, running fundamentals, uh, the fundamentals. Well, what is more fundamental? then love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, that's what mm. Christ said was the great commandment. That's the greatest commandment. You Amen. Know? So, and he said the other, you know, the other 
second greatest commandment is like it, that is love others as you love yourself. And so, you know, uh, the book is about God's love for us and how do, how do we love God? And, you know, you can't really do that without the grace of God. I mean, you know, it's basically God loving God through us. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I just thought, well, how much training does the average average Christian get in how to love God? You know? Yeah. We, you know, we might read the Bible, uh, but, you know, this is like heavy-duty training. It's like a catechism. The treatise, the original treatise was like a catechism on how to love God. And so my book is like a 21st century... You know, my book is like a 21st century update on how to love God, given all the crazy stuff all around us, you know, all the distractions and temptations. For sure. You know, just... Yeah, it's uh, there's so many challenges to Christianity now. I mean, back in 1616, I mean, it was pretty much assumed that you know you would have faith. I mean, now it seems like it's an it's an option amongst many options. Strangers yeah. in a strange land now. Where back yeah. then it was Christendom, and and now yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. The beautiful thing I I find about being Catholic is that there's a lot of great Catholic intellectuals and. You don't have. We're not a fundamentalist church. I mean, you no. don't have to. Yeah. You don't. You don't have to park your brains at the door of the church if you're a yeah. Catholic. That's what I love about you it. Know, yeah. That that you know the intellectual life is respect respected and honored. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So. Um, yeah. So it's just a lot of writing, rewriting. I mean, when I first took notes on the treatise, I wrote three hundred and thirty pages of. Oh my goodness. Handwritten notes, you know, and then I boiled that down to an 18 page outline. And basically my, the chapters in my book, like the, the, the actual treatise is like 12, 12 mini books. Okay. Hmm. And uh, so I follow the same format that he used. And uh, so it's actually 12 mini books in, in one book. Um, yeah. And so there's, you know, Chapters on prayer, meditation, contemplation, the grace of God. Um, yeah, just basic stuff. How do, how do we relate? And I get into intellectual stuff, like how do we relate to science? And, you know, how do we relate to other religions? How do we relate to scripture? Uh, yeah, it's packed full of scripture quotes. And, wow. I, w- yeah. I would say I would say your tagline to, be, to pitch with people is, is be like, God's ecstatic love. The catechism on loving God, right there, like yeah. that's yourself, right there. If just when you when you had that catechism analogy, you're like, it's a catechism. But for I was like, yeah, I was like, because that is heavy duty. That is the number one commandment, after all, right? To yeah. love God with all your heart. So yeah. out of anything else, I think if if we're to do the heavy lifting and and dig and learn and um, just soak in the knowledge and soak in somebody's book or lectures or talks, I think it would should be the number one commandment: love God with all your heart and uh, God's ecstatic love. The catechism on loving God. I think that right there, your publisher used that as a tagline <laughs> on a, like a movie poster or something like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking that. Uh... Maybe I should change the subtitle. The subtitle is <laughs> subtitle is transform your life with yes. your spiritual enough 
uh-huh. is a spiritual masterpiece. Yes. So the spiritual masterpiece is the treatise. You know, that's mm-hmm. why, what I was referring to. But yeah, I like that. Uh, the catechism and how to love God. Maybe yeah. I'll change. The, that's good. That, hey, that's subtitle. good right there. That because <laughs> I think that will draw people like the the catechism. You know, because you know, of course, the Bible and the catechism, the two we have. You have yeah, the, yeah. if you have the Bible and the catechism, and you're on a desert island. You know, I mean, you're good. You just if you yeah. if you were to read any book. I mean, I love the Summa Theologica. I know Augustine, City of God, Confessions. You know, uh, Imitation of Christ, but. The two books you really need is the Bible and the Catechism. So if you do yeah. the version of of the Catechism on on how to love God, God's ecstatic love. There you go, right there. Um, I, I did want to ask you one thing: uh, if you could tell us, like, what do we look for in spiritual direct? Because um, I, I live in San Antonio. Is there yep. something like because I've heard? Uh, I don't know if this is true. You could probably tell me. I heard that the uh, what is it? The um, Opus Day. Like they're trained in spiritual direction, like that's their go-to thing. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think it's Opus Day, and it's, it's, it's um, I think I've heard it somewhere. But like, where do we find like is because it's hard to come by spiritual direction. Uh, like, what do we right. look for? Like, almost like a doctor. Like, if like, oh, he he, you know what I mean? Like, how am I saying it? Like, yeah. um, to make yeah. sure they're qualified yeah. and good. How, how do we sure. how do we look for one a good one? Right, right. So the Jesuit, the Jesuits. I've always been big on spiritual direction. So if you can get a Jesuit spiritual director, they're usually very good. Uh, they've written a lot of books about spiritual yeah. direction. Um, there's spiritual directors international. Um, and um, you know, they have like 6,000 spiritual directors and they have uh, a search engine on their website called find a spiritual director. And so you can, so what I recommend to people is, you know, Usually there's little bios on their website about each of the 6,000 spiritual directors. And, and uh, although sometimes they just include their email, but you can email them and you can ask them about, okay, you know, where did you get your training? You know, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't say this before, but there are different levels. So there's there's a, the certificate level where you just get, you do the two-year program. Okay, yeah. You end up with a, a certificate in spiritual direction. But there's also master's programs. There's mm. doctoral programs. I have a doctor of ministry degree in spiritual direction. Uh, so I had to do a thesis and, you know, do these four major papers on, you know, I had to critique six different classic theological works and you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it was heavy duty uh, so yeah there's different levels i, I mean uh, you want to get somebody who's who's well trained and um, you know there are lots of catholic training programs so the, the jesuits run a lot of catholic spiritual direction training programs um, yeah so uh, I, I usually say, you know, look at the um, little blurbs, the little bios of people on oh, Spiritual okay. Records International. Maybe pick three or four that you think would be good and then interview them, you know. Okay. Or just 
So you're know. saying the the like because uh, of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, all the spiritual that they do. You're saying try try to lean towards that, and also your website. You have you know marriage counseling, and you have spiritual directions on 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 your website. Yeah. I'll, I'll get the show notes, and you'll put in put in the show notes to the book, obviously. Uh, sure. God's ecstatic love yep. and then uh, to your website. And so people could obviously look for you in that way too. So that, that's good yep. advice. Um, now, you know, we did the, the, the faith with talking about spiritual direction. We worked yep. out with the, the reason uh, writing books, getting books. Uh, now yep. we're going to work out like the geekdom part. Now this okay. is because I, I know you. We talked a little bit, and you said you're, you're like kind of like into the stars, and you had a telescope. You were kind of telling me a story about that, and you're kind of into that. Um, so I wanted to ask you, and I'll set. I'll kind of ask you the question and kind of set it up real quick in case for for those who are listening. Yeah. But um, yeah. one of the questions I want to ask you is is like is the Fermi paradox a good argument against intelligent life? visiting earth and for those who doesn't know just a little setup is the fermi paradox is like it's pretty much says like where are all the aliens like we have a young planetary system compared to the rest of the whole like universe and interstellar travel should have been fairly easy to achieve for you know other people uh, other species or other worlds earth should have been visited by aliens by now and that comes from the italian uh, physicist uh enrico fermi who said it? Right. He's, he, he, I think he was one of like nuclear reactors, um, and he said this in like in the, his theories, like in 1950. So like yep. he, I mean, he kind of realized pretty much as like civilizations with like any modest amount of technology could colonize the entire galaxy. The from I think it's called SET or it's an institution in, in California. Uh, on their websites, yep. they even kind of put like with it says quote. Uh, within 10 million years, every star system could be brought under the wing of an empire. Mm-hmm. So like 10 million years, like may sound like a long time, but it, it's actually short compared to the age of the galaxy. It's roughly about yeah. like 10 million years. Uh, it, it would take like 10 million years to colonize, colonize the Milky Way. Uh, so it should be fairly quick, uh, but we don't observe any intelligent beings uh, presently from outer space on this earth. Um, uh, Michael Hart also talks about this in one of the articles of uh, Royal Astronomical Society of the Quarterly Journal in 1975. So he wrote many articles on that because their universe is about like what, 13 to 14 uh, billion years old. That, yeah. that seems like plenty of time for intelligent life to advance within our Milky Way galaxy. There should have been a many have many of planets that have been uh, habitable zones by now. Uh, that yeah, could have yeah. intelligent life. So that's kind of like the Fermi paradox. What, what are what, is that a good argument against um, intelligent light visiting us? Or I don't really think it is in some ways. I mean, I don't know if you've heard of the Drake equation. Yes. But, uh, mm-hmm. The Drake equation, you know, basically is like, okay, in our galaxy, there's 200 billion stars. You know, we now know that on average, each star has like six planets. And, yes. You know, I mean, a lot of math, yes. In our own solar system, you know, like Saturn has 62, maybe more than that now, but 62 moons they've discovered, and there could be, there could be life on the moons, you know. Um, I think Jupiter has even more. Um, so the Drake equation is basically, you know, okay, you multiply, you know, 2 billion, 200 billion by six and you get what 1.2 trillion that's uh 
planets and then you know all these moons i mean so if you just keep narrowing it down by you know uh, equations of tan like so okay if you say there's 1.2 trillion planets uh in our galaxy uh, you know maybe one out of ten is in the habitable zone right so that brings you down to like what uh, so that brings you down to 120 billion planets yeah. that are in habitable zone, and then you go down by a factor of 10, you know, mm-hmm. so down to, to 12 billion, uh, you know, might have life on them, uh, and then you go down by 10. You keep going down. So, I mean, just mathematic, mathematically, you know, the scientists have figured out okay. In our galaxy, there's probably, this may sound far out, but this is a conservative estimate, according to the, the Drake equation, there's, there might be 100,000 civilizations out there, you know, in our, in our galaxy. So now, um, you know, I, I mean, recently uh, on Netflix, you can watch this, uh, you know, these series about top secret uh, you know, CIA documents that have been released. And they, I mean, to me, it's pretty clear that, yeah, there may be alien spaceships on Earth. I mean, that have visited Earth. They seem to be just observing us. They're not trying to take over, uh, you know, but if, yeah, I mean, I think there's six episodes to top secret classified ufos i think that's the title something like that but you know when you watch that it's pretty convincing that yeah we are being visited and uh um so i don't think the fermi paradox is you know okay so we we haven't uh captured any aliens or anything you know i mean they haven't introduced us to or tried to you know, arrange a meeting with the president of the United States. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, was it a Mars uh, Attacks? Remember that movie in Mars Attacks when they yeah. go to meet Jack yeah. Nicholson? He's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. your old pal Jack. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would have been pretty cool. Of it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, I think there is evidence that, uh, you know, there's, I, I mean, either aliens are visiting earth or you know some other country maybe russia or china or you know or maybe some private company has developed these amazing flying machines i mean that can do things that you know up till now no you know uh humanly invented ship spaceship can do i I mean it's yeah and, and they have you know like there's video footage of this stuff yes which brings me on, to the yes which bring me to the next question is is uh yeah i was gonna say what are your thoughts on all the the uaps uh that that are coming out from our own government 
recently. I, I would like to because what you, what you just said is like, was it the Navy pilots? Um, they they had the what was the one off of the water where like the water's rumbling and they see it's like a tic tac shape and it's kind of like bouncing around and it meets them almost goes to them and then all of a sudden it just shoots up like the force to turn to because our our pods could go like what three thousand something miles an hour uh, but then these are capturing at like eight nine some some even twelve thousand miles an hour. And then they make right turns, like in a regular, in, in our yeah. aircrafts, to make yeah. a right turn. Like, it takes a while. Like, we have to have a big space. They're literally, like, what what these crafts are doing, like, no biological entity inside would, would, would survive. It would just crush the, the, the sheer force of it just to make that turn. It, it would crush, incinerate, like, the, the aircraft, but these don't. And they've seen them, a lot of them off of the water, the one in, in San Francisco. And the thing that's crazy is is there's three things to confirm. It's one, these guys are trained professionals. They're trained to tell the difference. Like, what is that a plane? Is it not a plane? What kind of plane? Like, they're, these guys are trained. These are Top Gun pilots trained to know the difference between a plane or some natural, you know, natural wind, natural water spring, whatever. These guys are trained. That's one. Second, they have we have footage on gun camera. Third, we have actual like radars and sensors. So there's three. It's pretty powerful. Like so, um, like the 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 even the the report that they did, you had like Senator uh, was it Marco Rubio, and then you had Eric Holder, and it's I think it's called um, a tip. I think I believe it was called a tip, and they're going to investigate because you know the old school version. Well, uh, they called it Project Blue Book. I don't remember the real name, but but they hit that. Yeah. But now they actually said no. We have been uh, a tip has been investigating, and the government had said they have, and they're saying they don't really know what it is. So, like, what are your thoughts on all these? Well, they call them they 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 don't call them UFOs no more. I guess they want to get away from the stigma. They call them uh, yeah. UPAs, which stands for unidentified. Um, aerial phenomenon. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. on all these recent ones? It feels like in the last 10 years or so, it's been a lot. Yeah, I think uh, that, I mean, you know, there's been people abducted by aliens, you know, I mean, that sounds even crazier than, you know, aliens visiting us, but, you know, they've been brought up into spaceships and, and some of the, you know, the people who have been abducted say these beings you know, spoke to them telepathically. And they said, you really got to take care of your earth. Mm. I wonder if we're being visited because, you know, the other thing about the, on, on Netflix, on this series is that uh, these, these uh, UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, uh, they seem to hang around nuclear sites, you know, the, the Russian ones that they actually turned on the oh that's scary yeah. yes yeah. They, they turn yeah. on the actual one of the uh, nuclear yeah. side oh that's scary that's they do yeah, yeah. so I think um, you know I mean the thinking about that is that okay they were just showing us that you know maybe they're not going to just let us you know launch all these nuclear missiles and destroy ourselves I mean they've shown us that they can actually stop and start this you know they can stop they can start the process of launching and they can stop it and that's what they did so uh you know you also have crop circles i don't know what to make of crop circles yeah. i mean uh uh you know that's that's another phenomenon i mean maybe maybe they're man-made so either there's alien 
spaceships that are visiting us or there's some private secret of corporation or something that's developed these high tech high super high tech ships that can do things that no plane can do you know i mean uh i think those are the two options and and uh I think the government is starting to release this stuff now just yes. to maybe prepare us for the fact that, yeah. okay, you know, maybe in the near future, we're going to be visited, uh, you know, like seriously visited. Um, and yeah, the great thing about the episodes on Netflix is they have like experts, UFO experts, you know, commenting on all this stuff and they're pretty convincing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. So, there's three. I see three options. Is 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 one we're being visited by um, something not of this world. Um, two that it is it is us. Even though we come out and said no, it's not our technology. It, it could be that it's actually the United States. Or three, it could be adversarial. It could be China, <laughs> Russia. Uh, but if yeah. you had a real quick knockdown, well, actually, there's. If you had to knock down those three arguments, what would you say to like quickly knock down? Like, first of all, uh, why uh, why is it not us? Like, if you had to knock down uh, quick, like, why is it not us? Why is it not our technology, the UPAs? Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, that if it was our technology, I mean, it, it would catch on very quickly. True. And, uh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, you know, I mean, one theory is that there was a crash of an alien spaceship and then yeah. engineers studied the spaceship and they reverse engineered it, you know, uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, they've developed, you know, I mean, th there are some stealth bombers and things like that, you know, that are pretty super advanced technology, but it's still not doing anything like these alien spaceships that they yeah. recorded. I mean, uh, so, you know, I don't think it's, I mean, the, the greatest country to develop that kind of technology would be the U.S. by far. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think it's the U.S. And I mean, uh, I don't think so either because uh, one, like, uh, like Congress, like when they order, like I'm sure there's stuff that's classified, but for the most part, they can't live there. If they order a report that that's illegal, like they can't lie. You know what I mean? Like it's illegal. Um, there's very, a lot of people will get to the bottom of it. Also too, um, like a lot of these spaceships or these UPAs, they've flown close to pilots that don't know what's going on. Sometimes they can't see them, but they see them on the yeah. radar. Like that's very dangerous. I don't think like when our Navy or our governments, our military is doing exercises and all of a sudden the top, top secret one goes like, I don't think the government would, that's dangerous. Like he wouldn't send their top secret aircraft that we have right in the middle of like unknowingly right. exercise. Yeah. So I don't think it's yeah. like, what about, um, so how would you knock down, to say that, oh, it's it's China or Russia, Russia or another yeah. adversarial country. What would you knock down? How would you knock down? Yeah, I don't. Th I don't think they're as advanced as the U.S. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. But they're not as advanced. They would have took us uh, over by now if they did. Also, too, in yeah. the '50s, we've exactly. been seeing this since yeah. the '50s. Like so, in 1950s, not even we had this technology. So if China had it in the '50s, like. We didn't even have it in the 50s. The Soviet Union didn't have that kind of stuff in the 50s to make that kind of 
right hand turns going you know ten thousand miles an hour so that's yeah. another counter that is not somebody else because they would have had it in the 50s and that would have changed the course of world war you know all that so what about yeah, yeah. okay so there is actually another option i was going to ask you what if it's not from outer space what if it's mm. actually because near nuclear pants right uh also mm. they they a lot of them near water and a mm. lot of people yeah. saying they're near water so what if they're from the ocean and actually mm. been here or what if they're not from outer space but they're they're part of earth but they're part of a different reality like a dimension yeah. that we just can't see but now they're yeah. exposing themselves like they're here we just can't see it just like when we look at things yeah. we can't really see what's going on with our senses and they may have another senses so they may actually not be from another planet they may be from here but like almost like a spiritual thing like we can't see yeah. things that are around us like yeah. so there's those yeah. theories too that it may not be it may be in in our own water maybe they came here a long time ago or they're they're coming from the ocean yeah. we only know like what five percent or ten percent of the, our oceans very the yeah. meridian trench or it could be like something in in nature that's like gravity you don't see gravity you don't see air you don't see this yeah. but we know about yeah. it now what if they've been here and now we know you know because our senses are limited what if they're like just uh, like another dimension or another layer of reality. What, what do you think about those? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, my take is whether they're from another solar system and they're, you know, genuine aliens from another world or, or whether they, you know, they've been part of the earth all along. In either case, I'm pretty sure they're benevolent because I hope so. They would have taken over for sure. Maybe, maybe if they're from, our planet, maybe they're guardians, you know, and uh, they're just going to help us to get through this, you know, all the climate yeah. crisis and everything yeah. else we're going through, you know, it's like this pandemic and everything. Uh, they, you know, I mean, yeah, they could be from the earth. I mean, there's, as Catholics, I mean, we believe that we're surrounded by the angels and the saints, yeah. you know, the communion of saints. I mean, um, so really what would, what, what would the difference be between, we can't see the communion of saints, but we yeah. believe that all sort of people who have gone before who are with Christ in heaven, I mean, they're, they're praying for us, they're interceding for us. And, you know, we, we kind of have that belief already. Uh, and it, yeah. And if they're from, outer space somewhere i mean yeah i mean if they have the technology to do the kind of things these spaceships can do i mean they they could have easily taken over us you know and they haven't so i think they're here as observers and, and guardians you know and they're benevolent i mean it, hopefully you know a more advanced civilization would be they would have worked out all the stuff about poverty and yeah. nuclear weapons. And, you know, they, they would be peaceful, justice oriented, um, you know, loving creatures. <laughs> I hope so. Because with that technology, what they can do, like yeah. our fighters have no chance. So no, I hope, yeah. I hope they are peaceful if it is. Yeah. And again, the Catholic church, uh, has the popes have come out and said, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really do anything for, for our faith. You know, if they're, no. the Pope said, you know, hey, if there are aliens, you know, God maybe have 
the same plan or a different plan for them or whatever, yeah. you know, we don't yeah. know creatures all over the world. Um, uh, but, but I, I think it's, I think this is, uh, very fascinating, like of it all is. this stuff. And you said oh, you, yeah. you, you had, uh, I see, cause I see your planets in the back. So you're very into yeah. this. Um, let me ask you, have you ever seen anything looking in your telescope? Have you ever seen anything unusual? Uh, well, <laughs> You know, it depends on your perspective, but I mean, uh, you know, like, uh, I mean, with my scope, I, you know, I could easily see the rings around Saturn. And, oh, wow. And, 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 you know, the the moons around Jupiter. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you call those unusual, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. Well, I've never seen, I was it. about to say, I would, oh, man, I, I bet that's beautiful. Yeah, to, to see it in real life that, yeah. yeah this this really is out there you know i mean that's mind-boggling um so but i haven't seen anything like you know any kind of alien spaceship yeah, any base like on any base on saturn or something you know no 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah, that's great. Well, uh, again, uh, Dr. Bruce Tallman, I, I want to uh, thank you so much. I know we had a we had to do a little reset to get this started, but I'm I'm sure glad that we actually were able to do it because uh, this is very yeah. exciting. Um, yeah. Again, I'll put the show notes for your website: uh, marriage counseling, spiritual directing, spirituality, you. your faith, and then the book uh, "God's Ecstatic Love." And then you have your other books that were were were, were mentioning yeah. them. So again, Amazon, anywhere you can find books. Uh, again, uh, this has been Faith, Reason, and Geekdom. I'm Roger. Is there any last things you want to say, uh, Dr. Bruce Tallman, before we exit it? Well, uh, since my passion is helping people to love God, I mean, uh, just take those commandments, those great commandments of Christ seriously. I mean, as somebody said, everything else in Scripture is commentary yeah. on those two commandments you know i mean we need to get those commandments down and practice them and live them and if we do i mean yeah. uh, you know people will be flocking to the church i mean yeah. but you know we haven't really had that much training in yeah. how to actually do this and so that's that's the gap i'm trying to fill you know is is yeah just yeah how do you do this so yeah. yeah. Anyway, Roger, I really want to thank you. I mean, this has been a delight, and uh, I like the the UFO part yeah. explored because I am, you know, as I said, kind of kind of an amateur astronomer, very amateur. Yeah. But this stuff is fascinating. Uh, you know, it is so much fascinating, so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So I appreciate I appreciate what you're trying to do in your podcast. I mean, combine faith, reason, and deep to my you know. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, the geek, the geeks need to yeah. learn about faith yeah. and read. Well, so, yeah, I love sci-fi. I love all the comic book movies, the Marvel movies, DCs. I love aliens. Yeah. I love talking about, you know, like, if there is there UFOs, is there not TV shows? I love all that. So I appreciate that. But once again, yeah, you're right. Like, we need that training. We need that to get God's love. Would you say we need a catechism for that oh, there you go <laughs> the <laughs> new right. subtitle the new title uh yes please go out uh get dr bruce tallman's book god's ecstatic love god bless you god bless all you guys listening faith reason and geekdom thank you god bless you roger <laughs>